black ball. Black 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 What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. It is rapper day on Blackballed, and you know what that means. I get to be giddy. I get to relive my youth and my present day as a practitioner and lover of hip-hop culture. And the first time I heard my guest today, I remember turning to my friend. It was like 1991, 1992, something like that. And I remember turning to my friend and saying, does that guy have another mouth? Like I thought that there was a dude born that had this like weird deformity where he had like another mouth like fastened to the side of his jaw that would sneak in syllables in the middle of a verse, in the middle of 16 bars and you just were least expect that that's literally what I felt like. Because his style and the style of his group was so unique. And it made me start to think in hindsight, especially when I did my deep dive in the last week or so, that maybe this person who I don't know if he's been credited as this person before. Maybe he was the person who kind of invented a double time flow. I don't know if that's true, uh, but I think that when you when you heard him spit for the first time, you knew that you were listening to something that was special. And it wasn't just the flow, it was the cadence as well. There was something about this cat that makes him stand apart from other MCs in hip hop, as far as I'm concerned. And his name is Chip Fu from the Fushnik is Chip. What's up, buddy? What's happening, brother? How are you? I'm doing well, man. Did you know that you had something that was completely unique when you first hit the scene? Like, were you aware of how unique you sounded? I think um, I always say this. Um, yes, I did know. And I knew because of another MC telling me. And the MC that told me was um, Educated Rapper. He told me, Educated Rapper from UTFO. My brother had a 16 birthday party and educated rapper and then were called I think Untouchable Force at a certain time. Might be wrong. Jam a lot crew. That's what they were called at the time. And they played for my brother's 16th birthday party. I was I was 10 going on 11. And I, you know, they while they were playing, I told educated rapper at the time, I said, yo, I want to say a happy birthday rhyme for my brother. So he was like, oh, okay, no problem. That's that's nice. And he gave me the mic. And when I started, he looked at my brother and then pulled me to the side and told my brother, he was like, yo, your little brother got something. Like, bro, he's 11 years old. And look at how he's, his pockets are different totally. You get yeah. me? So at that point in time, I knew I had something. I just had to find a way to perfect it. And that just that just put me on the path of just, you know, moving my pen as crazy as I could. You get me? Yeah, of course. Man. And, and and it was it was interesting when you came out because again, like it was so unique. Um yeah. I started to wonder in the last few days who your influences were. Okay, that's easy. My influences was ska music mm -hmm. and there was a crew out of England called Saxon Sound. And they were the ones that I used to hear skip on records before anybody. And this was like 
the early early and mid 80s saxon sound tipper Irie, and all these people were like the first people i heard come with different cadences and everything but they were doing it on ska records and grime records at the time and reggae music you get me mm -hmm. i said to myself if i could master that and have an ear like that and apply it to hip-hop it would make sense then as time went on understanding that you know being from west indian heritage we hear things totally different because of you know we're more so into drum and percussion so our pockets are different so then i applied the style to that meaning i'm a person i play the um the trap drums alto saxophone and i could play the steel pan if i have to so all of those give me gave me different pockets and different cadences that no one are thinking about so when i'm hearing a track i'm not hearing what everybody else is hearing i'm hearing something totally different and i would fit, fit myself in those pockets could you play those instruments while rhyming? Yes. Really? And yes. And the, the funny part about it now that I'm noticing is a lot of drummers are throwing up videos on YouTube where they're playing my verses, actually. Wow. Like they're actually playing the cadence of my verses as cadences. And I'm laughing because somebody finally got it. You get me? After what, over 20-something years now, people is now starting to say, well, listen, you ever played... You ever listen to his cadence? His cadence sounds like he's a drummer, which is mm -hmm. what, what it is because I'm hitting different pockets, but I don't, I'm, I can't use sticks. I have to use what I have to, you know, I have to use lyrics to actually express those things. So I, I heard, um, I think it was Dre or, or possibly um, uh, Busta Rhymes say that about Eminem, that mm -hmm. his cadence and his delivery is like percussion. And then mm -hmm. I saw this last week. Dress black sheep. NOG, EPMD, Fat Boys, Fat Joe, Kushnikins, Gangstar. Eminem getting inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame went down alphabetically who he thanked to be there. And in true Eminem style, this he does this often when he gets an award. He'll he'll just like shout out pioneers and shout out golden era MCs and stuff. And and you were on that list. That must be a weird feeling because you came out so uh, long before he did. You influenced him as part of like the, you know, the milieu of hip hop artists that influenced him. And then he's right. getting inducted in the Hall of Fame and he's shouting you back. Like, how did that feel? Um, for me, it was a beautiful thing because um, first and foremost, you normally have people that would be inducted in, into certain situations or win certain awards, but they would never, ever say who they got you know, who influenced them. And I think that it was honorable for him to, influ to, to, to not just say my group's name or whatever, but all the group's names that he mentioned, because he mentioned everybody out of a certain era that brought a certain thing to the page that, that, that might possibly never get to see, you know, that platform or to receive an award of you know of that magnitude so for me i was like you know that was a beautiful thing and plus there was always comparisons like anytime he sped up and was using the double time or the triplet syllables and falling into different pockets and using that nasally flow my name would come up like yo yes. that sounds like that was already done by chip already and i'm just <laughs> all those read comments i never i never chime in i just read them just to hear what people are thinking you know what I mean? have you ever met eminem never met him before Never met him before. I met Royce the Five Nine before, and I met him. How I met Royce was kind of weird because uh, Premier told me that he needed somebody to sing a reggae chorus on a song, mm -hmm. and 
what I did was I came to the studio. Royce was there. Royce did not know who I was. I went into the booth and knocked it out in like two minutes. And then he was like, yo, that hook is crazy. You know, what's your name? I said, my name is Chip Fu from the, and he just was like, you gotta be kidding me. You're here singing on my song. I'm like, yeah, bro. You know, Premier called me in to do whatever. And you know, from there it was, it was all good. But to say I met Eminem, nah, I never met him. I would like to meet him. I'm just curious because I'm surprised. I would I, like to a song with him too. At, at some that's point. what I'm saying. Like, I feel like Eminem does these shout outs and he's, it's done a lot of work with a lot of artists, but it would just be cool to you remember when Santana, the guitarist like years ago put out uh, a compilation album and he just did like uh, uh, collabs with like people from all different genres and all different types mm -hmm. of music. I feel like Eminem should be doing that with like the pioneers and stuff because you um, know, yeah. your name, your name comes up a lot, uh, at least in my circles, as you know that early '90s golden era sweet mm -hmm. spot. Like you were right there. Mm -hmm. You know, did you guys know that you were living in that era while in that era? Yes, um, that's why it made it hard for certain groups to continue because we understood that we were laying the foundation for something that was going to be bigger for us. So when it was time to do new records. Like I remember sitting, having a conversation with KG from Naughty by Nature. And he was like, yo, you have to make sure that your records are consistent because people are listening. Because when you stop doing music and people go back and they start digging, they need to hear consistency from you, not for you to be known for one record. Hmm. So I was like, you know, you know, thanks for that information. So every time we did a record, we tried to make it bigger than the last one because we understood that we're influencing the generation beneath us when it was time for them to do records, you know, and come, you know, and do what they had to do. And especially when it came to cadences and flows, I was saying, I don't want it to be a situation where I was pigeonholed to uh, Chip has just one flow. So I was just saying to myself, I have to switch up cadences on different songs and whoever catches them, whatever MC comes after me and catches this, Mm -hmm. He's going to be an incredible MC if he uses that as part of his blueprint and his script. You know what I mean? So I have to thank KG for that. Yeah, I remember back then producers often saying that you had to stay with one thing that worked. Mm -hmm. And I think it held a lot of artists down. It did. You know, um, did you see a lot of that in the A&Rs and the, and the reps that were, were repping labels back then? I saw that because there was a record that I, I had called um, Original Rude Boy that was on the uh, greatest hits. It was me singing and rhyming and chatting at the same time. And that was beyond them. And then they got angry because when they put out the greatest hits, everybody was buying the greatest hits because of that record. Hmm. Because it was like, yo, we never heard him. We heard him chat on Ring the Alarm, you know, syllables and all this other stuff. We heard him do whatever on, you know, Lash Move, True Fushnik and all these records. And he's playing with different cadences, but we finally get a record where this kid is singing, you know, he's singing and he's chatting and he's rhyming. So how come he never did this on the album? So then at that point in time, which was weird is they tried to bring me back in to do a solo project. I didn't want to do the solo project under the, you know, the contracts that they had me under, but I knew at that point in time, I had something because of what was going on in these A&R meetings. And I, I get it. If they're saying, you know, if it's not, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But at the same time, if there's changes, how do you change with the climate of change? You know, a yeah. lot of people don't always see the um, the struggles that artists go through in these meetings. You know what I'm saying? Especially Tribe. Tribe had, Tribe had tons of records where 
they were doing different stuff. But, you know, yeah. uh, Jive wanted them to stick to one script. And it's the same thing with us. We didn't want to just be categorized in the, the Jazzy Jeff, um, Fresh Prince kind of thing where it's tongue in cheek music or whatever. So that's where you started hearing different records on on the second album, like Visions. And, you know, a lot of people were like, we didn't even know that you guys could rhyme like that. Like, you know, yeah. on beat, off beat or whatever. But, you know, yeah. The um the the track What's Up Dog, you guys had um you couldn't clear the sample, the Bugs Bunny sample from Warner Brothers. Right. Whose idea was it to get Shaquille O'Neal to do he was a rookie, I think, for the Orlando Magic at the time. Whose idea was it was it to get him in the studio or at least to say that part? And I think he had a verse in one of your track. Was it that track that he had a verse in? Yeah. A verse on What's Up Dog. That was my idea, actually. Yeah. Um, I think for me. I think for me, it was a blessing in disguise because we couldn't do the version with uh, What's Up Doc on the chorus because I, sam I sampled um, Bugs Bunny. Um, couldn't use it because at the time Space Jams was out and you know that had Bugs Bunny in it and everything. So Warner Brothers was like, we're not going to clear the sample. So I said to myself, well, let's do, let's just chant it. Can we rock What's Up Doc? Came up with that chorus um, where we, you know, they we should have chosen that track for the movie. Exactly, but we were the movie was already done, so that's uh, that's what it was saying. We didn't mystery track on the soundtrack. I don't know. I'm just trying. <laughs> no, but it's all good, and that just let us know we had something because they didn't want to compete with that record because we were about to drop that record. Right. We drop, so they was like, "No, we're not clearing the sample." Um, I heard we heard, excuse me, that um, Shaquille O'Neal was a fan of our music. He flew us out there to Orlando. We met up, um, and. You know, he was saying that, you know, he could rhyme. And in my mind, I'm saying, why don't we do something different in the industry? Where um, I remember growing up and watching these parody records that I just disliked growing up when you would try to mix an artist with an athlete, like the Super Bowl shuffle and all oh. that. Oh, painful yeah. shit. Oh. William, what was it that the refrigerator Perry was trying to rhyme or whatever the case may We're be? We're not so, here to start no trouble. It was just like, yeah, it was the yeah, bastardization yeah, yeah. of hip hop. Music. Right, right, right. So in my mind, I said, yo, let's let's do this, but make sure that when we do it, it makes sense. So, you know, that's why when he did uh, Drink Champs, he was like, yo, every time I got in the booth, Chip would always tell me, yo, do it again. Because when he first did it, it sounded like people may, may have been like, yo, it sounds like a parody or a parody, excuse me. So I was like, bro, you ha we have to make sure that it sounds like another artist got on the record with us, not a basketball player. So when yes. we got it to that point and he understood, he delivered it without any problems. So when people heard it, they were like, that could not be him. They no one like, gave him that advice for broadcasting, I see. No, no, no. I don't think <laughs> I don't think so. Like try to get or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what it is? I think that that magic works for him, though. You know what I'm saying? I think it's I think so too. It yeah. works for him, but I think you know that it, black Paul Bunyan deep voice. You know, yeah, yeah it, always it, it works for him because you know that if you didn't see him and you heard the voice, you knew exactly who it was. You'd be like, yeah. All right, that has to be shot. Um. I want to play something else. Um. There, there are a few th th There are a few times I would say in hip hop where. There is sort of a litmus test on whether or not, okay, are you like part of, you know, the magic or the sweet spot in that era? Mm -hmm. And this was one of those times. So I'm going to play this. Yo, 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 it's in the house. Represent hip hop because it don't stop. We're going to 
I've seen the performance so many times. It's the ultimate shout out ever. I don't think anyone's ever gotten a shout out quite like Arsenio Hall did. But what was it like that day? Is there any story to tell as far as like having all that talent in one spot or was it sort of disjointed? Was everyone sort of with their own crews? Like how did that look like behind the scenes? That day was crazy because we all had to get up at a certain time in the morning and we all had to go to Paramount Studios to practice. So we all get to Paramount Studios and every group is with, you know, their own peoples or whatever. And I remember it was quiet. You could hear a pin drop in Paramount Studios, the recording studio. And I, I think I remember whatchamacallit, Pete Rock went up there and he put that beat on and then it woke everybody up. I remember the first person to start writing or, the, or, or who jumped up with a lot of energy was Q-Tip. He jumped up first and was like, yo, let's go. This is going to be so dope. And that that energy, it connected with everybody within the room. And we just all just started putting everything together. If there was any beef or anything in that room, I think that it was, that day wasn't for that. I went think, away. Right. I think that we all were under the same impression that we had to make sure that Arsenio Hall went out for a bang because of what he did for hip hop, you know, for, you know, when it came to late night television show, I remember, you know, KRS one wasn't even there and wasn't even supposed to be on the record uh, on at the show, but KRS one came freestyled his whole verse. Yeah. I figured he did. <laughs> and then Mad Lion came and did what he did. So it just, you know, that was just one of the most incredible days in hip hop. I mean, from, you know, when I, I, I try not to look at that, anymore mm. 
because when I, I saw you close your eyes when it was playing. <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to look at it because, you know, when you think about that magical day, you got to think about those people that are no longer there. Like, you know, Guru, uh, Fife, you know, uh, Old Dirty Bastard. And I'm sitting there going, yo, this brings me back to the day when Old Dirty Bastard was like, yo, I, I don't see any more mics. I don't see any more mics. And he runs over to me and he grabs my mic and he says, why isn't your mic on? And I was like, they shut it off. Everybody, they're shutting off everybody's mic so they won't have any feedback. So he's running around the place trying to find a microphone so he could just scream on it or whatever. And say, the black man is gone. The black man is gone. But, he, so he, but he's running all over the place just trying to find that microphone. And, me and he just there. looks like the best hype man ever while he's doing it. Yes, yeah. yes. And in my mind, I'm like, yo, look at how this day came together. You know what I mean? It came together perfect for hip hop. And I was like, yo, um, I'm glad to be a part of it. You know, because when everybody talks about the biggest cypher in hip hop, they talk about that cypher. Mm -hmm. And it's weird that when you listen to some of the people's lyrics, they're actually, they're actually lyrics that became part of records. Really? Yeah. I think about that. I never yeah. noticed that. I be hating sucker MCs. Danny uh, that that oh, became a record. That's true. My too. right. My verse became um breakdown from um the flow will break you down on the second album. Like if you listen to certain verses from people, it spawned probably a record at that time because I'm sitting there going, yo, this is crazy. Because and, and when I watched it over, I was like, hey, I'm gonna use that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm gonna change it up a certain way and actually yeah. put the right kind of thought to it and make it you know one of those verses or whatever but um yeah it's 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 also you know like when my son finally saw it and was like well dag you know those are some mcs that i heard about and he was able to go and start looking them up and you know mm -hmm. whatever that's why when i saw tretch come out there i was like yo he was always a monster you get me so that Tretch was is one of those guys that like i'm always surprised that people don't talk yes. about him more you know like his his like his patterns when he first came out was mm -hmm. like nothing I had seen at that time. The totally. only one, it was like obviously influenced by like a Rakim kind of thing, but it was just right. these so, these so complex with it. It was right. amazing. Yes. That's why I was looking like, damn, he, he's, he, and he's still a monster. And I just remember the talk, the, the conversations we would have. And I was glad that at that time I was part of flavor unit because it kept, you know, iron sharpens iron and, just being under the same management as Naughty by Nature, I was like, yo, we cannot come with anything whack because these guys have anthems. So that's what drove me to be like, yo, what's what's, what's going to be our next single? Or, or, you know, instead of going to the parties, I was the guy that was home trying to come up with choruses or whatever to the beats that were given to us, you know, to make sure that we were at least wouldn't be left behind when it came to records. I know a rapper out of Toronto uh, named Bookworm, and he got it from one of your rhymes. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if it's the Ring the Alarm, one of those verses where you mentioned the uh, the, the name Bookworm. And I know that Illmatic um, spawned so many MC names. Like people, MCs would take words out of like uh, tracks that people like Nas did and use that as their MC name. Yes. I'm curious if you knew about that, that people did that to you as well. At least that's the one example I know, so there must be more. But also where you got your name from. Oh wow, that's crazy. Uh chip boo. Um my mom used to call me her chocolate chip when I was younger. You get me? I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but it just yeah. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> my, my mom used to call me that. 
And I used to be like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want it to be like Makfu, Pakfu, and Rapfu or some. I just said, yo, I need a name that just sums me up. So Chipfu means, since I'm into martial arts, you would think Sifu if you're the master. Yeah. So it was. It's really Sifu, but I just made it Chipfu, which is created harmonies equals intertwined perfection, meaning I take a piece of everything and I mastered it. So when you hear any verse from me, you're gonna hear a piece of everything. You know what I mean? When I drop it. So that's what Chipfu actually meant. It meant Sifu. And I was the master at what I did. Well, um, you and KRS One so far, I believe, are the only people that are the only rappers that I can think of off the top of my head that did rhymes. Yours was called Flonometry, I believe, and KRS One's. I think he just kept it called Figaro. And right. you guys rhyme to the same sort of like rhythm as the classical song Figaro. Yes, that that was crazy. Um, right. That that is one of those like built for b-sides right that kind of th that kind of thing but like in a good way right right um what artist is, is that missing from modern hip-hop like that kind of um you know willingness to sort of take risks or at least willingness to experiment uh, yes i think that um again you have to have those you have to be uncomfortable in order to grow so you get to a point in time where you hear what people consider norm and be like, this can't be the norm. We, we can get better than this. You get me? So the one person that I always thought of when it came to change or, or trying out different things was KRS-One or Tribe or um, De La Soul. So when I came up with uh, Flowinometry, I wanted to make sure that when you listen to it, it was heavily laced with cadences. And I wanted that when a person hear it, that once they got it, it was an exercise for them. Like, I didn't want it to be anything easy that you got when you first heard it. I wanted it to be something that when you finally got it, everybody would be, yes, you have to spit that, that flowonometry joint that, you know, Chip Fu did or whatever. So I I never really, like, officially released it, you know, to, to the public. You know, you see some people have it up, and I think I had it on one of those, those mixtapes, but that's actually a video that, people will probably see next year that I'll actually do because I want people to actually get it. You get what I'm saying? Cause you know, I, I want it to be a situation where I continuously put out different things and push people to try stuff different. You know what I mean? Cause once, yeah. once they, they see or they hear the flowonometry song, they're just like, no, he did not. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, like you can actually push yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough nowadays. Cause like when I was young, I remember, I mean, I don't want to sound like one of those guys with shaking his cane, you know, like, like out of touch hip hop guy. That's really mad at the kids, but like, you know, I, I, I mean, there was a, there, there was a respect for the craft of emceeing that nowadays I am seeing mostly with guys who were still doing it back then. You mm -hmm. know, there's some exceptions, obviously. Like, I mean, I think Joyner Lucas has a really good, like, you know, inventive flow and in his style switches up a little bit. But, you know, am I just being a cranky guy that, that can't accept the change in, in the music or am I onto something? Like, no, I don't think you're a cranky guy because I think that where we were at the point in time when hip hop exploded, at it, it, when it had that sweet spot, our ears were programmed to listen for the next different thing because it was everything that dropped was told. You had 90 you had about 15 to 20 something groups that didn't sound alike at all. 
and you knew what you wanted to listen to at a particular time. And when you wanted to feel that feeling or, or, or be in a certain headspace, you knew what group could put you there. You know what I mean? Nowadays, you know, nowadays, every group is saying the same thing. So you're just like, if you played 10 songs, it just sounds like you turned the, the volume up on one record. You wouldn't hear any any differences. You get me? So for me, with you mentioning Joyner Lucas, somebody tagged me in something on Twitter and was like, um, you know, Joyner Lucas, you know, went on Funk Master Flex and he did the backwards style. And somebody underneath it was like, yeah, I heard that already. Chip who did it in 91, you know, on the, the record called Movie Scene. And I'm glad that there's people out there that could check people like that and be like, no, 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 guys, listen, that is dope what Joyner Lucas just did. Incredible. And, I, and me personally, I think Joyner Lucas is an incredible MC. But, you know, when you start to think about where people, not saying that he got it from me, but there's at least somebody there that could check and be like, well, listen, people, you know, this was done in 91. Mm -hmm. This was done on the Vucinikin first album on on um uh, well, the movie scene record where he he, he act well, Chip who actually did it and there's a big story behind that and you know these people came down from Germany and they put me in this classroom and they had on lab coat these lab jackets lab jackets or whatever and they were like well we want to see if you could actually rhyme backwards and they bought this guy from Germany who was like well you know I'm some 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 he was some English major guy or whatever. So mm -hmm. they put me in front of this chalkboard and they said, well, we are the ones who created this style. And I was like, bro, I've been doing this since I was 11 years old, you know, looking at the funnies. And there was a, a, a part of the funnies where you would write it. And the only way you could read it is if you held it up to a mirror. Yeah. They didn't understand that. So they're like, well, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to film this. I said, OK, film it. And they was like, so how do you rhyme backwards? I said, I'm not going to actually tell you. I'm just going to do it and you could see if it's, you know, whatever. So they had this device that if you spoke into the device and you said it forwards, it would actually play it for you backwards. Okay. So when, you, when it played backwards, you would repeat what you heard and say it into that and then it will play it, you know, forwards and then it'll sound like, you know, it was, it was done. That's backwards. a lot harder than people think. It's not right. just reading it backwards. Like you, they, the yeah. way that the percussion of the hard syllables come everything. out and everything. Like right. yeah. how syllables comes out, it's, it's not, it's coming out backwards. So what I did is they gave the guy the chalkboard and he's writing all these, you know, all this mathematical stuff. And I'm sitting there going, no, bro, it's, you're doing too much right now. I was like, okay, <laughs> I got on the board and I just wrote everything in the other direction. Yeah. Right. Because we write right to, we write this way from left to right. So I started writing from this direction that way from right to left and yeah. reading it this way. So it sounds totally different and your pronunciation and enunciation will be different. You have to take breaths in certain places. So when I did that and they recorded me, they played it back and they were like, my God, you know, you, you could actually do this. Why don't you? I said this, but there's no competition for rhyming backwards, bro. This, this is just... This is just <laughs> You get me? This is just a style I came up with, you know, that I wanted people to know that I could actually do is something totally different. You get me? It's so, almost as if those Germans weren't really into hip hop. No, they, they were just like, well, <laughs> this must be just something. Well, we 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 started at first and I'm sitting there going, bro, uh, all right, cool. So two years later, I got, um, I think Jive. Jive was like, um, you know that there's a toy on the market out called Backchat. I said, really? And, I used, and they were like, I think they got that from you. 
because it came from Germany and it was actually a pen. Uh-huh. And you spoke into the top of the pen and it did the same thing where you spoke into it one way or whatever. And, or, you know. So when people, when I look at MCs and they're doing what they're doing now and I sit there, I'm glad that there's people out there that could jump in and make corrections and say, no, that style came from this. Or, you know, it started, you know, if you're listening to certain patterns of, of reggae records or whatever, you know what I'm saying? It, it wasn't started from there because a lot of people thought Ring the Alarm was me on the chorus. You know what I'm saying? That's actually Tennessee who I sampled. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah that was a great sample. One of the greatest yeah, samples. Yeah. I'll make your voice so deep. I'm like, no, that's not me. That's that's another person that we sampled. Yeah. That's not me, so Did me. you clear that sample? Because that was a dope sample. Here's the yeah. funny part. There was a promoter that used to live across the street from me in Brooklyn, and his I knew his son. So this man used to bring people down from England and Jamaica to come and perform in, in Brooklyn, and he brought Tennessee down. <laughs> so one day Tennessee was in in the basement apartment of this building, and I was like, "Ain't that Tennessee? We just saw him at Prospect Park or whatever." And I was like, I, "You know, I was a big fan of his music." And when it was time to clear the sample, I never had a problem clearing it because I knew Tennessee's family. Uh, you know, all the promoters and everybody that brought him down. So it was never a problem for me to clear that sample. And that was one of my favorite records because I wanted it to signify that the Fushnikins is finally here and there's going to be a change in music. So it was about bring the alarm. We're here. Um, Got into a lot of problems with Jive because I wanted it to come from the dance hall side, but the video did not depict anything dance hall. You get me? No, you guys were like in Chinese food containers and stuff. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. And in my mind, I'm like, yo, this is this is a real sound killing song. You get me? I'm glad yeah. that it, it was able to still be received as that record. And even in certain dances where they're playing heavy reggae, you would hear that record. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? They would play the original Ring the Alarm and then our version of Ring the Alarm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm glad people were able to receive it as such, because for us, the video was like, yo, come on, this is not what we're trying to convey. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I was I was surprised and and happily surprised um, when Ring the Alarm crossed over because I was, you know, there were there were like Naughty by Nature had that vibe as well. Like Tretch's rhyme styles were just too good to be uh, like a mainstream song, and I what? thought your style for Ring the Alarm was kind of the same. Like I was just like I was happy about it. I was like fuck yeah, like I can turn on the radio now. I don't have to wait till Saturdays at three o'clock to listen to hip hop now in the early nights. I can, you know what I mean. And yeah. so it was dope. Um, I want to go back just because I forgot to ask um, before when you mentioned it. What did Shaq look like in the booth? Okay. 
Now, this is the funny part. He got into the booth, and every time I spoke to him, he ducked, and he spoke to me. And I was like, nah, do that word over, and he would always do this. All right, I got you. You know what I'm saying? And we were saying, how are they going to mic him, right? <laughs> so I know that the mic could go to, like, they had the mic stand on the last piece. So if 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 you know mic stands, when you go in there, you can keep pulling it up until it it's it stops at a certain point. But you yeah. never it was never a time you had to pull and it, it up. And it leans a little when it does that too. Lean, right? right? It'll lean. So you there's never been a time that anybody, any engineer had to pull it up to the last one. So I remember they pulled it up to the last one, and I remember stepping in the booth and the mic was past my head. And I was like, oh, this is, I said, this is crazy. You know what I mean? But it was, it looked like when he was recording, it looked like he prepared himself for this. It looked like he was waiting for his turn. It didn't look like he was trying or, you know, um, you know, I'm just going to try this right now. It looked like he prepared for this moment. And that for me, I was just like, yo, that's the beautiful part about it because, you know, you know, before we even went in the booth, we went to his house. And when we went to his house, we we walked inside his house and he had a DJ room, actually. And he started cutting up records. And and I'm saying this big guy is cutting up records with his huge ass hands. And he's not he's not <laughs> using cut, his pinkies to like yeah, he's not cutting up records where. You know how people, you know, some dudes have the tape on them so they could bring it back to where the tape is. Mm. No, he understood where that was on the record. So that just let me understand his his focus and everything. So I'm standing up there and he's like, he's like, he's cutting, cutting it, scratching it, and then, and then, and then, cutting it. And I'm standing up there going, no, people don't know that you can do this. And he's like, no. And I'm like, bro. This is dope. Yeah. So it made me understand the type of person he was, especially when it came to the hip hop culture and him being able to do windmills and all this stuff. So him stepping in the booth, I didn't. It, it just seemed like he prepared for that. Yeah, and he was like a kid. Like the, the, the cool thing about Shaq is that you always got the vibe that he was like this big happy kid, right? You know? and, and he was like who, whenever he decided to put his mind to do something, dude, he went platinum. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he went I mean, platinum. Largely off of name recognition, I'm sure, but still, like right. it wasn't a whack album. Like you know, it was it was a decent album. He only sounded like the basketball player being a rapper once that I can recall, which is the Phil is my father thing. Like he sounded a little bit like an athlete in that right. particular song because it, it sounded like he was reading. Yeah. The one record that um I I did a couple of records with him. The one record that I did with him was um, I'm outstanding. And he came to me and he had his own idea about the record, hmm. you know, which was dope to me because it, it it just let me know, all right, well, you're not just a basketball player because you came and you sat with me and was like, this is what I want to convey, you know, that I'm outstanding and that, you know, how my mom raised me and or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so you're really thinking now. So you're, you're, you're focused on this record being a, a dope record, not just you running in there doing foolishness. No, he wanted it to be a record. Get me so well, you could be outstanding, or you could just be out there standing around, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> but he wanted some focus uh, on that record. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you mentioned um before De La Soul and Tribe, mm -hmm. and I started thinking, you know, where would hip hop be um without 
the native tongues. I feel like they should have their own museum sometimes because of what they did at the time. I had Shad on. Shad was the, I don't know if you watched Hip Hop Evolution. It was the docuseries all about the history of hip hop. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shad was the guy walking around uh, to, to every rapper and, and interviewing them um, and asking them about their place in history and everything. And um, and I, I interviewed Shad and, and I asked him about that. And he was like, if there was no like tribe in De La Soul, there wouldn't been there would never have been that pivot in hip hop music where it was OK to not be tough and to still be creative. I, I agree, because. Uh, for the Fushnikins, it was we're basically um, babies of De La Soul and Tribe. You could actually mm-hmm. say that, you know, and feel comfortable about it. That because you know we were big uh, De La Soul fans because they were the ones that made us think like, yo, you we can actually do different stuff on records and present ourselves as being different. You know what I'm saying? The whole Native Tongues movement, especially with um, Jungle Brothers, also big influence mm-hmm. on the Fushnikins. So. When it was time for us to do what we wanted to do, we were just like, you know, we wanted to make sure that we presented ourselves just as different, but, you know, without sounding like everything else that was out there. So then you had Fife, which was a, a, um, a close family friend and cousin of Pac Fu. So when we got to Jive, it was easy for us to do a record with um, Fife or whatever. And Ali and I becoming like, like like we were brothers bro like he would come in with all the records and tracks for me and he'd be like chip here's the five records when are you gonna have them done and i'm like well give me two days i'm gonna have all the choruses or whatever you know what i'm saying so just with that camaraderie and understanding the importance of them in hip-hop you know that helped us so a lot of people were like well are you part of the native tongues i said no we're on the branches of the native tongues we're, we're mm-hmm. there because of you know the relationship i have with uh, Fife and with Ali Shaheed, and especially being managed by Flavor Unit at the time, because you know Latifah is part of the Native yeah. Tongues, so it, it all looked like, okay, well these are the brand new babies of the Native Tongues at this particular point in time, which which I believe was a blessing in disguise for us, because we were the first group that a Tribe Called Quest produced for outside of themselves. There must have been some sort of advantage. Maybe we were talking uh, earlier and I, w- I was saying maybe I'm a cranky old guy for not thinking that these artists these days kind of go through the, the the artistry in the same kind of vigor as they did back then. But the advantage back then, was it that it was a brand new thing in a sense and you could experiment with it a lot more easily than you can now? What do you mean with Creativity. Yeah, like, I mean, like, at the time that Native Tongues was starting to do their thing, hip-hop was a very, like, it was it was street, it was kind of tough. There were party MCs and all that, but there was, like, they opened up a whole new dimension. You know, they, they gave hip-hop another branch, I guess I would say, you know? I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened. You know what it felt like? It felt like you walked into an art room, and there was a piece of paper on a desk, and you had... 50 kids drawing on it. Hmm. The teacher walks over and says, all right, that's it. It's time for new paper. And they put this white sheet of paper on the table and threw a box of crayons on top of this white sheet of paper. And everybody grabbed a particular crayon and started working on that paper. That's what that whole vibe was when um, Native Tongues dropped. Everybody was able to be a part of this picture that they were drawing, but 
you didn't have nine people drawing eyes. You had a person drawing the hair, drawing the feet, drawing, you know what I'm saying? Drawing the shadow behind the person or whatever, but we all was able to combine and come up with this beautiful piece of painting that people are borrowing from today. Because if it was not for, it was hard at a point because those people started calling tribe hippie, I mean, De La Soul hippies and oh, they're soft and this and that and the other. But at the end of the day, you had so many MCs born in that era from what they heard. You know, Black Sheep. Then you had Far Side. Didn't sound anything like the native tongues, but they were able to be who they were. Far Side. Yeah. We're Far Side. And, you know, on the front of our record, we're in a roller coaster and this and that and the other. And they made records that they love. Outcast. Outcast. And we gave birth to all these people where we were just like, yo, you can be who you want to be. Just be creative. So when you think about it, all those MCs or all those groups that push their pen to be creative are the groups that you remember. You don't remember the other ones at no. all. No, you don't. you don't remember them at all. Because if you think about it, even with Premier, when it came to beats, he pushed his beats. He pushed and pushed and pushed because none of them sounded alike. And the only thing that made them sound alike or there was a, a, a string that bind them together was when he just scratched the choruses. But if you listen to everything, he's, he sampled everything. Like um, the song Manifest that they did, right? Take heed to the words of the manifest doesn't sound like nothing like Dwick at no, all. Not at all. So he was always pushing. So for me, in that era, that's why a lot of people are like, yo, that was the best era because of the creativeness that came out of it. In this era right now, if you try to be too creative, they're just like, yo, you're really, you're really bugging out. Or and and even in this era, if you really think about it, this is the weird part. The creative ones stand up. J. Yeah. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, but no one is really looking like, bro, if you just be you, look at what's happening here. You know what I mean? So yeah. us as MCs from that era, we tend to gravitate to those MCs, you know, the Joyner Lucases, the you know the M&Ms, the, the Kendrick Lamars, the J. Coles, because they're being who they are. They're not actually putting on, there's no farce with them when they're doing what they're doing, man. So I commend that, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that whole renaissance movement when it came to just being yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it, it reminds me of um, skateboarding, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the sort of like the trying new things, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the trying to do something that Tony Hawk couldn't do. Um, and then, you know, the next guy trying to do something that you can't do. And then I feel like mumble rap came along and a guy got props for scraping his fucking knee. What? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm, cause listen, I, I, this is why I feel like a cranky old guy. I knew that when my friend's dad was trying to tell me that Jimi Hendrix was better than like blink 182, I knew mm -hmm. he was right. Even though he was the yeah. old guy telling me this about the band that I was supposed to like, I didn't, but I was supposed to like but when I when I hear these like these mumble guys, I I can't even though I try to I'm like I'm I try my best to extract the skill that I might not like but I still recognize as skill I can't mm -hmm. do it I don't know where it is. Want to know what it is? Is because we're spoiled, and the reason why we're spoiled. Well, speak for yourself, Chip Fu. <laughs> no, we're both spoiled, spoiled bro. <laughs> we're both spoiled because I think that. The era we grew up in, we knew, and you would hear it from the audience or you would hear it from your fellow friends. Bro, that shit is whack. Yeah. One time, what the fuck is that? Excuse my language. That shit is terrible. That is shit is trash. 
because I've had MC sit around me and be like, bro, I know you're trying to push the envelope. That shit is that shit is whack. And I'd sit there and be like, really? And go home. I think the difference with it now is because of the internet and you can upload music that quick and you're not you're not really feeling the backlash you're supposed to feel. You get me? Because the backlash that you're receiving is somebody saying, I don't like that song and they're on the internet and you'll never see them. No, bro. In our time when we went to Cyphers, you'd get booed, sent home. When they have the other cypher, the cypher would be on huger platforms like, you know, um, Wetlands or SOBs. And you got to show up the next week. You have to show up after getting booed, step back on stage, get laughed at and be like, all right, I'm ready for, you know, I'm ready this week. Let's go. Yeah. A lot of these kids didn't go through that. They didn't go through the ranks or get booed or thrown off stage or understood how it was to, to make records. We had, I think back then it was like a huge Motown, the, the huge Motown era, because you had A&Rs even saying, no, that's not going to fly. Well, you had to, to rent four track studio mixers. Come on. Right. Come on, bro. Come on. Come on, bro. Come on. The this, first this, MPC. Come on. Yeah. This, this, this. Come on. Even the DJs had to be on point when we went to, 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 to practice. If you're standing there and the DJ's off beat, it's like, yo, bro, what you, you're messing up the whole entire show. So us as so we, we've been spoiled understanding that we can hear the difference. Like, nah, even in certain records, if you listen to it, you'd be like, yo, why is that? Why is that bass so muddy? We can pick out stuff like that. They can't. Yeah. We can say, yo, why is the bass so muddy? Uh, why did why didn't they pan the snare so it could stand? That's how we think from that era. We, we still like the depth of the analog because it feels human, right? Like there it is, there it is. But yeah. we can tell the difference. They can't tell the difference because the air is not trained. They just hear mud and they hear. And I'm like, are y'all hearing this? Like, no, this is. I was like, yo, you can't tell what what's what and what's playing. Where we were taught that, yo, you can have several instruments playing, but if it's EQ correctly, you can hear it properly. Mm -hmm. right it's not about pushing up the volume that's that's never been it with us we were just like yo bro and that's why i say we're spoiled is there like a creative advantage to being able to sort of straddle the internet age and remember making music before and after the digital revolution yes there is can you tell me what that is reason being that we um everything is at our fingertips right now right we wouldn't have to rent out a studio to do certain things because there's different patches for it. The, the messed up part about it is we would rather go to that proper studio and use it for that sound instead of patching into something that sounds like something because we can tell the difference. We can say that it sounds like that, but we know that it's not that. You get me? So yeah. the advantage that we have is our knowledge so when we're sitting in there, we can say, no, I need this to sound like this. And we can we can even go back to certain records and say, remember when Tribe did so-and-so and, -so and the, the snare hit and how it how, yeah. how the snare dropping and echoed a certain way? I need yeah. for you to pan it that way and put a so-and-so on it. We, we know what it's called. They don't know what it's called. Sometimes we would bring a one drum into the booth. You remember doing that stuff like that all the time? Or holding up the guitar to the mic and playing a bass line. You know? Thank you. Thank you for having a handful of change and shaking it and having a handful of change and shaking it. Or I remember doing this reggae record and I, I had to walk into the booth and play a bottle. I'm playing a bottle, come out, listen to it, play the other part of the bottle and play it. And it sounded like there was 15 or 20 people in there. You get me? So yeah, 
from what we learn from experience when we listen to certain records, we always hear what they could have done better. Yeah, I I I'm, I used to scratch nylon like on my uh, on my jackets that sounded like right. Yeah, just to sound like scratching because no one scratches anymore. No. Is that like considered dated, like Houdini's voice? Is that like <laughs> what they think? <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, I don't know what they think, but for me, it's just like you got to have one of those records on the album. Yeah, you have to because of this. It's the creativity, man. It's the creativity, and I don't, I don't even, I don't even think they're thinking like that, man. And and it's it hurts sometimes. And again, I don't want to be the the older MC that's just like, what are you guys the, doing? The cranky old guy. I'm telling yeah, the cranky, what are you guys doing? I'm trying to pull the microphone down. I'm like, stop. You know what I mean? But you know, one thing that I will give them, um, because I, I, I listen a lot to production. Um, I'm getting a little tired of the sprinkler snare. You know, okay. like, I, I, I don't yeah. know. I'm a little bit like it's in every track, it seems like. But they have the, the atmospherics, <laughs> I think. <laughs> what? Oh, the sprinkler <laughs> The sprinkle is I get it. It sounds exactly like it does. This. It just sounds like a sprinkle. It's totally but, bad. It's totally bad. but but they have um it's probably because they grew up using the tech. Mm-hmm. They're really good at atmospheric, at uh, like the cinematic sort of underlay of the sound in production gotcha. is usually pretty tight. I got you. Yeah, to, to me, to me, I think they know how to make stadium records. They know how to make stadium, they know how to make grand records, and they get the right engineers to mix it properly you know we 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 weren't brought up on making grand records but because they have but because they, they they don't sample as much as we did they had to come to make they had to make these records bigger than them so sometimes when i hear certain records and i hear certain mcs on it i'm like they didn't make the record it's the track that made the record yeah. you know their, their simplicity and you're sitting there going i get why they were some they're simple but you know they slap that cold play kind of padding onto it or something. You know yes. what I mean? It's never the the it's never when you sit down and be like, yo, that's a dope record. To me, I normally sit there and be like, yo, you know, they could have done this or that and the other. And there's some, don't get me wrong, there's some dope records, man. But I think we're just spoiled, man. We're spoiled. You know, we know the we, we know to talk about Bob Powers and it came to certain things. We heard certain things mixed a particular way. And when it came to certain records, you know who you needed to come to put that certain spank on your record when it came to engineers and and, and stuff like that. And, and and right now it's like there's plugins for that. You know, when Bob Powers makes this record, yeah, man, go to so-and-so and so-and-so and, and press that plugin or I'll share my plug. And I'm like, bro, no, that's not it. That's not it. You're taking Don't use the Primo plugin. Just call right. Primo. Just call Primo. Thank you. Yeah. You can't use a Pete Rock plugin. Just call him, bro. Trust me. Text him. You know what I mean? Hit them up on on Instagram or something, but I think that that's the problem with it with us, you know, because we we know better. Mm. I I miss um we have to wrap soon, but I just want to say oh first first of all, I ask every rapper this mm-hmm. the definition of the freestyle mm-hmm. can you please tell me is it off the top of the dome or just a rhyme that no one's ever heard before? Um, two different points in times for that. In our era, freestyle was off the top. That's right. No, nothing written. That's right. As as time got, uh, as time went on, I think people were just like. Um, I think they were cheating, and they needed to figure out a way how to fucking justify yeah, their cheating. You needed a cheat code, and you needed because you knew if you messed up, you wouldn't look right. 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 And you knew it. K 
KRS one has mastered that. That's his thing, freestyling. He's not going to mess up. He's going to twist and turn, and he's never going to stop. That's just him. Black you know thought. I mean? Right. Yeah. Black thought, too. But then at the end of the day, as things progress, it, it became the written freestyle. It became that 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 joint that you had in your back pocket because you didn't want to look crazy at radio when you went to radio and you were able to say whatever it is that you had to say. And I was able to see the, you know, the transition between off the top and written. And I'm like, bro, you know, you, you can't say freestyle anymore. You say, yo, kick one of your favorite writtens at this point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When I when I see that, when I see like, oh, check out this amazing such and such freestyle. I don't want to put anyone out on blast or whatever, but and then I listen to it and I'm just like, clearly not a freestyle. I can right. tell by the patterns. I can tell by the rhyme scheme. That is right. not a freestyle. Not a freestyle. You know, and some cats are good. Some cats will be like, all they have to do is change a noun or something mm -hmm. so that they can relate it to someone in the room for that line. And then everyone yeah. thinks that everyone that surrounds that line is a fucking right. freestyle. And then they go back to, to, to their written. And I'm sitting there going, nah, you're not slick, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're not slick. Come on. Now. You know what I, mean? um, I miss Guru a lot. Yes. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say that just, I, I met him once. Um, and I, something's always sort of bothered me about, um, what happened to him when he put out Jasmataz and how like the hip hop kind of community at large were saying that he phoned it in and that it wasn't like a gangstar album. And I was always like, it's not supposed to be like a gangstar album. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, I just sort of curious just cause I love, uh, you know, guru and gangstar so much, like what you thought of the Jasmataz projects. Just curious. First and foremost, Guru is one of my favorite MCs. Hmm. Loved the Jazzmatazz projects that he put out because what it did was he pushed the envelope. And again, you have an MC that's that's doing what he's doing when it came to rhyming over jazz. But then at the same time, he's able to do that because of his, you know, his his fellow his fellow classmates that were rhyming on jazz at the time, like Tribe and everybody else. So I, so. To certain to certain creatives, it wasn't too, it wasn't taken as it being whack. It was taken like, yo, look at how he's pushing this. You know what I'm saying? This is mm -hmm. incredible. Um, again, the first record I ever rhymed on, you know, in front of people was Manifest at a at a, a talent show, and you know, I got on that and destroyed it, and and that's how people started paying attention to me. So that was know, flat top I, guru too. Yes, yeah, very much so. That's flat yeah. top, shiny shoe, black shoe. Um, who, uh, <laughs> That's right. At the time with the medallion, Possibly even running man guru, if I remember. Yeah, that. yes, yes, <laughs> running man guru with the hat. You know what I'm saying? And the, and the black medallion. So he was this close he, to getting the house party role. <laughs> yes. So for me, it was just like, yo, um, this is an MC that. All right, comparison. Guru and Rakim, right? Guru did not have to change who he was as a person and still gets the respect. Same thing as Rakim. And that's why I like Guru. He didn't have to change it, it, nothing about him to get his point across. But you knew that when he was on a record that was a Guru record and the record was dope because of Premier. So anything that Guru put out as a fan, I was loving. Even, you know, the Jazzmatazz stuff. You know what I'm saying? So Just yeah. his voice. Like his voice. Yeah. Yeah. It cut through everything. It cut through everything. There's sometimes it seemed like he was over pronunciating certain things, but for me, it was it it was just him. And he didn't have to outrhyme the best rhymer. He didn't have to do that. He just kept it his way. And I loved everything that he did. 
in, yeah. in, in its simplicity. You get me? So I'm just like, yo, I just loved his tone and everything about Guru. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I've enjoyed this hour talking to you. I, I, I love anytime a cat like yourself comes in, you know, I'm always well prepared. I always want to talk hip hop and talk shop. Um, you were no disappointment whatsoever. I really appreciate the time. So thank you for joining us, Chad. Bro, thanks for having me. I, I wanted it to go down this way. I didn't want it to be like we only had a half an hour. So I'm glad well, it Well, let me big up actually before we go, Marvin Prince, who who, who, yes, who big up this the Marvin Prince man for, for the link, man. That's that's my boy right there out there. Did you want to mention anything that you're working on before we go? Oh, brand new yeah, album. Sorry. Mm. Royal Blood. It's incredible. Um, I feel sorry for a lot of people when they finally hear it because it is what it is. And it's not it's 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 not me with being big headed. It's the confidence level. You know, I had enough time to actually push myself to certain limits that I've never. And, you know, people will hear different sides of me now, finally. Um, and I can't wait for everybody to start to hear uh, the brand new singles and the project itself. So look out for that Royal Blood. Uh, you can follow me on at Chip Fu on Instagram and at Chip Fu on Facebook and Twitter. And yeah, thanks for having me, brother. All right, Chip Fu, everybody. Thanks very much, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care. Peace. That was Chip Fu. That was dope. He that was pr- easily one of my favorite um, conversations that I've had um, with a rapper. Might even be the best one. Like, uh, who who wants the rank? Um, Chip Fu is 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 one of the most interesting cats. He's got one of the most interesting flows. I didn't realize, you know, he would be so interesting to talk to. To be honest with you, I just, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect, and he just he just blew my mind. Really easy to talk to. One of the gentlemen in the game, and also one of the pioneers. Um, which those two things don't always go hand in hand. To be honest with you, but he's been a part of history. Um, and. Uh, you know, I'm going to continue to try to have rappers like that on people that I've respected for a long time. And, um, and yeah. Okay. So, uh, tomorrow Canadian guitarist extraordinaire, Sean Kelly will be on the show. He is the guitarist for Nelly Furtado. He is the guitarist for Lee Aaron. He is the guitarist for Helix. He is the founder of crash Kelly, the glam rock band from the eighties, I believe it was. And um, so that should be a really fun show. And then on Thursday, we have ex-Plymouth Brethren Christian Church member, Laura Payne. Uh, Laura is going to talk about her experiences as a young person, um, kind of dark experiences within that cult. Um, So we are going to talk to her on Thursday. I may have a surprise in store on Friday. Um, We will announce that on Thursday if that happens. But until then, we will see you next time on Black Bolt. a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. 
Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.